Hey, uh, we're starting a lesson here for the next couple of weeks, at least two weeks. Maybe we'll go one more, uh, just on prayer and fasting. It's been our our um, design for the last several years, probably uh, well, for quite a while, over a decade. The beginning of the year that we just set aside time to fast and to pray. And uh, it's just good to be reminded of it. There's so much in the Bible about prayer and fasting as well. I want to just remind you of some things maybe that you have known, some things maybe that are brand new to you. But we're going to go to the Word in the next couple of weeks, and we're going to be stirred up because, I, again, I don't want you to think and get it in your heart that fasting and our prayer is some kind of some, something that we just check the box off and we never, we never think about it the rest of the year. This is a lifestyle of the believer. I love Psalm 65. When I think about a new year, Psalm 65 says you crown the year. God crowns the year, it says, with bounty and goodness. He crowns the year with bounty and goodness. So come on, as we're ending the year, I believe your next year is just going to be crowned with the goodness of the Lord, the bounty of God. The bo- one translation says the bonuses of God. Come on, anybody, anybody love it when you, maybe at the end of the year, you got a year-end bonus? Come on, somebody. You went, woo, man, come on, come on. I, 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 God was good. Come on, I, I got some good salary this year. I got a good pay this year. But man, that bonus was just like, ah, come on. I just believe God's going to do some of that for you and I this year. Amen to that, everybody? Come on, amen to that? Uh, let me give you a quote that I read in a book. I'm reading a book. I didn't finish the book yet. It's, uh, we'll have it on the screen. It's a quote by a uh, uh, guy by the name of Walter Kaiser Jr. L- look what it says there. When in the course of human events, there lies such a heavy sense of injustice and despair over the proliferation proliferation of evil or the rapid increase of the numbers of evil and the failure of any forces for good or righteousness to carry the sentiment of the day, there remains only one answer, revival. Course of human events, we're looking at wars in Ukraine and Russia now going on. We're looking at the war going on in Israel, Gaza, with, in Gaza with, against Hamas. Um, recently, maybe you've heard, maybe you didn't hear that there are, uh, there were Christians in, uh, I forgot what country, in, in Africa or India, I think it might have been India, and uh, hundreds and hundreds of Christians um, were, were killed and their families were killed and murdered by Muslim people, Muslim folks just not wanting Christianity to spread in their region. And it seems like when we look at all these things, when we look at the proliferation of evil, we look at in in the course of the human event, the human time that we're living in, that just a a heavy sense of injustice and despair. What do we do? What what can we do? It's, It's government doesn't answer it. Education doesn't answer it. The business community doesn't answer it. What, what do we do? The answer is revival. Revival. Um, revival and awakenings, when we look at them from Scripture and we know them in history of the Christian church, revivals and awakenings change everything. It actually changes people. It changes culture. It changes and affects government. It affects the land. It, listen, it affects the land changes the land becomes prosperous. The land is fruitful again. It works in people. It works in saved. It work, and it will start working in unsaved as well. I'm going to give you two different definitions that we'll have on the screen. These are my definitions 
uh, that I've seen. I've got a little different take on revival and awakening. People sometimes bring them in together. I like to separate them because I think they need to be separated. So for definition's, uh, definition's sake, just look on the screen for this. And a re revival means this. Through repentance and prayer, what's dead, dormant, or stagnant comes back to life again. We can never have, nothing can, ha can experience revival that hasn't already experienced the viving, if you get what I'm saying. Revival, re, means it's already happened once. Revival means that which was once alive is no longer alive and must come to life again. Revival means that which is now dormant or dead was alive and what's dead and dormant needs to experience life again. Listen to me, when it comes to this season that we're in as a church, and, and the, probably the last verse that I read to you is a verse that's going to be burning in our heart that I want you to think about. I'm already setting you up for it. Uh, when I read it, uh, the, this next 10 days and for the rest of our year, I really believe it, that we're going to see some things happen here in our church and with you and in our community that we haven't seen before. I've got faith for it, and I've got belief for it, and I've got confidence in it that God is going to do something amazing. Yeah. Yeah. I believe it. I, I, I listen to me. I, I believe through revival, through repentance, that's you, that's me. And prayer, what's dead or anybody beside me, you might have some dead or dormant things in your life, stagnant things. God says, I want those things to come back to life again. Maybe it's a call of God. Maybe you've left down a call of God, or maybe you've left some things off in your marriage or with your you know, raising your kids or whatever it is that God's speaking to you about. Whatever's dead, whatever's dormant can experience the very life of God again. And an awakening, an awakening means this. It's a deep and intense awareness of your need for God followed by repentance. So listen to me, followed by repentance. So an awakening happens with somebody who's never been revived before. They've never experienced the life of God before. They've never been born again. They've never surrendered their life to Jesus. And all of a sudden they're dead. They're dead spiritually and they're awakened to God. They're awakened to their sin. They're awakened to their need of God. I, I, I'm lo I long for him now. How does that happen? There is only going to come an awakening if first there comes a revival. Or else the awakening would have already happened. The city would have already come to God. Your neighbors would have already submitted to God. Your, your, the, the people you're working with would have already seen your life and the life of other believers and said, I want what you got. And, and when you walk in the room, I, I'm convicted of my sin. And, and, and I was at home and, I, and all of a sudden, it's like this presence of God entered into my house. How does that happen? It happens first when God's people get revived. The problem for all of us is that so many of us, and, and me included, we just wind up looking and acting and talking and expecting and experiencing and doing just like the world. And when you read the Old Testament scriptures, this was the thing that constantly God was against. God was against the nation of Israel becoming like the people around them. That's why he said, no, intermarriages. He's not talking about black and white and Hispanic and Asian getting together now. He's talking about your belief system. He says, no, 
interracial marriages. They don't serve God. You serve God. Leave them alone. They will come into your life and pollute your life. We see that time and time again. Listen to me. It's not, a, it's not an interracial thing. It's a God thing. You're not there. They don't serve God. They're not serving God. And yet so many of us and our young people are swept away into wanting to be and act and talk and live and experience everything the world does. We need to be revived. We need to be revived. I believe it when the church, when the church prays and gets revived, God wakens the city. God wakes up the city. So it's not bad city. It's not crime. It's not border. It's not Biden. It's not Newsom. It's not. No, 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 no. Those are symptoms of things for whatever your political belief is. It's when the church prays and the church gets revived everything starts changing. Come on, somebody. Everything starts changing. I believe this with all my heart, that prayerlessness equals powerlessness. When you feel powerless, when I feel powerless, like I can't effectively change, like the the quote from Walter Kaiser, when there's a heavy sense of injustice and and despair over the proliferation of evil. It's like everywhere. I I don't know what to do, and it's like everywhere. When when, when, when I I feel powerless, that I can't effectively change anything, and, and it's like I'm ready to give up, all that is telling me is that I'm probably prayerless. So when you go through those times, when you feel those times, when you look at the need, when you look at your family, when you look at your kids or your grandkids, when you look at the job situation, whatever you're dealing with, your body, whatever it is, the question I'm asking you, I'm asking myself is, Gary, folks, have you prayed? I don't know what to do. I don't know where to go. I I don't have any answers. Have you, have you prayed? I'm convinced I've seen it for all my life now, you know, six, almost 64, been in ministry for coming up quite a few years, decades now. And it just seemed like, like, like our easy fix for everything as Christians. Again, the world doesn't do this because they don't know it. <laughs> uh, they think they're, they're on their own and don't believe in this entity that we could say it. But, but the church believes in this entity, Satan, Lucifer, the dragon, the serpent. And so what we do is, is we blame the devil when it's really us not pursuing God. It's the devil, and this is a, no, 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 it's, it's, it's me. It's me not pursuing God, and, uh, and my, my, my prayerlessness is, has bred powerlessness in my life, and God says, the way we're going to change that is I want you to come to me, and I want you to come to me in repentance, and a repentant heart, and a changed heart to say, God, I need you. I need you again in my life. I'm, I'm coming again. I want more of you. The Apostle Paul, the great Apostle Paul, I could say it that way, in Philippians chapter 3, he says, I want to know him. He wrote two thirds of the New Testament. He was on shipwreck after shipwreck. One that we know about in Acts 26 that, that went down and he's grabbing a board and he's going to Malta and, and, and a snake comes out to bite him. And he shakes it off. And I mean, this brother saw signs and wonders and angels and miracles and saw appearance of Jesus. And he still says, I want to know him. I want to know him better. My prayer in these days coming up is that that would be a passion in our heart to know Jesus better. Amen, everybody? 
Luke chapter 2, verse 36. Luke 2, 36. Most churches love programs, but they don't love prayer. Love programs. Oh, we need youth program, kids program, one outreach program. Oh, come on, we got small group program, 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 program. We got music program. What programs? Get some programs. Outreach evangelism programs. And, and, and say, uh, and, and where, where's the prayer program? Where, 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 where's the prayer program? It's not nowhere to be seen. Where, where's the personal prayer? No, nowhere to be seen. And if we're going to see God's power this year, we're going to be a church that prays like never before. Amen. So I'm telling you, setting up for the rest of the year, we're going to have scheduled times that we're going to ask you all to show up. And we're going to pray. And we're going to start seeing God work in our lives, your life and my life. And untangle some things and put some things in and take some things out. And work in our kids. And we're not, listen, while you're praying for somebody else, God's going to be working at your house. Come on, everybody. Come on. Do you believe that? I believe that. Luke chapter 2, verse 36. Come on, look with me on that. Now, there was a person named Anna. Anna was a prophetess, the daughter of Phanuel, the tribe of Asher. She was of great age. Come on, she's an older woman. And lived with a husband seven years from her virginity, verse 37. And this woman was a widow, about 84 years old. So, man, this, come on, this is, this is an old woman. 84 years old back in that time? Come on, she's like about 170 right now. Come on, man, she, she's, she's old. She's old. And look at this. She didn't depart from the temple. She didn't leave church, we'd say. She didn't leave church. She didn't depart from the temple. Check it out. Notice the words, but served God. Come on, say served God. Yeah. Served God. How? With fastings and prayers night and day. Night and day. Anna served God with prayer and fasting night and day. She developed a culture of prayer in her life. Night and day. Night and day. This is what we're going to do. This is what we're going to do for the next 10 days. We're asking all of us night and day. Night, we're going to find a rhythm. We're going to find our rhythm. We're going to leave some other things aside, and we're going to find our rhythm night and day. Night and day. You're going to wake up in the middle of the night to go, go to the restroom, whatever you got to do, and you're going to be thinking about Scripture. You're going to be, all of a sudden, you're not going to be thinking about problems. You're going to be thinking about because you just read it the day before. You're going to, you got, God's going to give you an awareness of Him like never before. Amen. Night and day. Night and day. Verse 38, and coming in that instant, now this, this, is, this is speaking of Jesus, right? Coming in that instant, this is when Jesus' mom, uh, Mary and Joseph, are bringing him to the temple to, 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 to have him circumcised and bring him on, on, the, on the eighth day, as was a Jewish custom. And, and she's praying. She's a prophetess. She's praying, though. Night and day, she doesn't leave temple. She's praying, seeking God with fastings and prayers. Check it out, verse 38. And coming in that instant, coming in that instant to give thanks to the Lord, there, there, there was Mary and there was Joseph and she speaks to them, speaks to him of all those who look for the redemption of Jerusalem. In, in that instant, in that time, she's seeking God. She's in prayer. She's in fasting night and day culture, that, culture that she's built into her life. And all of a sudden she's at the right place at the right time. And she gets to see and hear and experience the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, her Messiah, her love, her desire that she's been fasting and seeking and praying God for, for decades. All of a sudden she is there. She's been watching. She's been waiting. She's been wanting to see this and God brings her right on time at the right place. I believe this with all my heart, that seeking God gives you the ability to see God. She saw God. 
she saw God. God, Jesus, in the flesh. I believe it. Our fasting and our prayer, it just positions us to know things, to hear things, to see things that others just don't get. God loves everybody, absolutely, but the scripture says this, he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. Let's add fasting to our diligent seeking God. Let's skip a meal and draw near to him. Let, 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 let's lay aside and let's, let, let, let's make some changes in our diet while we're here. Let's just go ahead and do that. Let's, let's just start cleaning up our diet so we get a chance to live long and let God use us and our bodies get stronger and stronger. Come on, everybody. We know the natural benefits of fasting. We know that, but, but we're talking about a spiritual benefit. But if we're going to get the spiritual benefit, let's just go ahead and keep the natural benefit going. <laughs> Seeking God gives you the ability to see God, to see God. And, and, and listen, the, 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 the ability to see, the ability to see comes from the passion to seek him. The ability to see him comes from the passion to seek him. It, it's not like, like somebody said, God does play hide and seek, if you will. He does play hide and seek. He's not keeping things from you. He's keeping things for you. But it's those who diligently seek him. And we've got an opportunity again, not only as a church, but right anytime you want to do it, but we're doing it as a church where we collectively just start seeking God, where we can see God work and do something in us, with our families and our bodies, with our marriages, with our kids, with our, with our city, with the culture around us that we haven't seen up until now. So we're going to wait. We're going to watch. We're going to look expectantly. We're going to, we're going to draw near to him, the scripture says, and he's going to draw near to us. Hosea chapter 10, I love this scripture. Hosea chapter 10, verse 12. It says this, sow for yourselves. Check it out. Do this for yourselves. Sow for yourselves righteousness. Reap in mercy. Break up your fallow ground for it's time to seek the Lord till he comes and rains righteousness on you. So for yourself, do this for yourself. It's not for anybody else, it's for yourself. You, 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 you've got to do it for yourself. I, you, you can't go to the gym and, and I get the benefit. You, you, you can't bless somebody else and I get the benefit. Do, do this for yourself. The prophet is, is crying out the word of the Lord. So for yourself, righteousness, right standing with God. And you're going to do something. You're going to reap the mercy of God this year. It's going to be working in your life and for you. The mercy of God, the favor of God, the grace of God working in your life. He says, he said, break up. But what you got to do is, is you got to break up your fallow ground. Ground that was once productive, ground that was once tilled, ground that was once fertile, ground that was once planted and yielded a harvest. But over time, over time, over 2020, as George was saying, or Kimberly, somebody, over 2023 now, it's just like, you know, it's just kind of been like, you know, my spiritual life, my spiritual walk, just kind of, you know, copacetic, just kind of the same. I'm not reading anymore. I'm not in the Word of God. I'm not drawing near in the Bible. I'm not, I'm not hanging out with believers. I'm not coming to church like I need. And uh, maybe I'm not praying. I, I, I'm going to break up my fallow ground. Uh, when Kimber and I moved to Canada, a bunch of kids, man, we were talking the other day and we were taking a walk. Gosh, it's 28 years old. Moved to Canada. Kimberly was 27. 
and uh, told you the story a little bit. We were believing God for a house, supernaturally got a house, and it was a house like, uh, uh, like uh, uh, one of those houses that when you see the fixer-upper, this was the fixer-fixer-fixer-upper. <laughs> Come on, somebody. This could have made, uh, I'm telling you, the, the, the friends there in Waco, they wouldn't even touch that house. Let me tell you what. They just, nah, we ain't going to touch that house. And so we, we, we slowly started working room after room. Well, one of the things that I want to do is I want to make sure, I want to get the outside looking good before the inside was looking good. And we had, there was an, uh, when you pull in the driveway, I don't know how big a lot it was, maybe a third of an acre. It was a pretty good sized lot. And right over to the side, there was a, there was a, 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 a an area where they once had, um, uh, what we found out is that they once had a garden there. And uh, everybody in Canada had their own garden. Everybody, everybody planted corn and tomatoes, and they just, you know, everything you want to do in a vegetable garden. And so I didn't know anything about it. I mean, I was, you know, I grew up in Tennessee. My dad, we kind of had a little bit of vegetables in the backyard, but these folks up there were like serious. I mean, vines, and they'd make wine, and they'd do all kinds of stuff, fruit trees all in their yard. Well, I wasn't going to go that crazy, but I thought, you know, we're going to, we're going to, we got a spot right here. Let's, let's get this thing working. And so I didn't even have a rototiller. Had a friend in the church, had a rototiller. But, but the, I'm, I'm talking weeds. I'm talking overgrown. Listen, I'm not talking about dirt. I'm talking about stuff has been overgrown. I'm talking about had a couple of like little trees in there. And so over the course of, you know, quite a while, man, we started hacking stuff down. Or I said, we, it was just me, Kimberly's with the kids. And, and doing that, you know, day after day after day after day. And, and a guy, one of my neighbor, uh, he'd been there forever, lived in trail his whole life. He was in his 80s. And he said, you know, Gary, you're out here and you're, you're, you're doing all this work. And he said, I just want you to know that... Um, the soil has become contaminated because of the lead in the air from the big factory. And so what you got to do is you just can't like till the ground when you get to there. You got to have some kind of like soil remediation and you got to get cow manure and you got to put it in there and you got to put new stuff in there so that the soil will even produce for you what needs to be, you know, needs to produce or else you're never going to have a harvest. And I get thinking about that, that this ground was once productive. This ground once yielded a harvest, but this ground has been overgrown. This ground has been overcome. This ground had been soiled by the atmosphere and what's going on in the, in the culture of that little town, by the lead and the poison, if you will, in the air. And everything had to be kind of dug out and dug deep and, and took effort and took time. And listen to me, this is the, this is the system in your and my life of breaking up our fallow ground. Listen to me, there's things that get in that make us hard. You've got, maybe you had some offenses, maybe somebody you know, was wrong to you, maybe you didn't get the deal this year, and somebody lied to you and hurt you and stole from you, and, and that family member, and may, maybe somebody close to you in your house, it's kind of like David said, I, I could handle it with somebody outside my house, but it was my own kin, it was my son, Absalom came, and he tried to take the kingdom from me. Uh, it's all those things that we got to deal with that come into our life and cause our heart to become hardened. Young people that get bullied at school and get, get, get put out and no friends and they're, they're by themselves and I feel I'm alone and I'm fighting depression. What happens in our heart? Our heart gets hard and we think God doesn't love us. God's not caring for us. He, he doesn't see me in this need. All of us deal with all these things continually, but the remedy is to have a heart that 
is continually plowed up where the seed of God's word can come in and the water of the spirit can come in and cause and bring change in our life in the name of Jesus. Amen, everybody. Man, the seed will never yield a harvest with that kind of heart condition. No matter. And Jesus tells the parable in Matthew chapter 4, the parable, the sower sows the seed. And he says, some just fell by the wayside. The sower's out sowing, and it just falls by the wayside, really on, on soil that's just hard. It's just, it's just, just there it is. It's never, never going to go in. It's never going to go in. And so we could be thinking, and people come to church and all kinds of different reasons when people come to church, but you've heard it, and if, you, if you've been in church and, and you'd invite a friend and people would come to church sometimes and say, oh, there's, there's nothing there for me, I don't get it. What, what's that really saying? They, they could be, they, they might need to go to another church, so that's a possibility, but a lot of times it's, you just got a hard heart. He's got a hard heart. You can't hear God. God's talking, but you're just not listening to him. You're not open to him. So listen, hard hearts can't hear from heaven. So what we're going to do for the next 10 days is we're just going to say, God, wrote it till my heart. Wrote it till my heart. Whatever's in there that needs to get out, would you plow up my heart where my heart will be tender to you, where I can hear you, I can receive the seed, and the seed of your word will begin to produce the kind of harvest you want to have in my life. Prayer and fasting will change us. That's what's going to happen. Because, again, our hearts get so lured away and polluted by the world and polluted by culture. And so with fasting, what we're going to say is we're just not going to pray. We're going to deny our body a meal things that we like, desirable food, and, and things that we want, things that, that are okay. But I'm just going to pull back, and I'm going to say, God, I desire you over this. And God's going to meet us. 2 Corinthians 7.14, familiar scripture, excuse me, 2 Chronicles 7.14. The writer says this, if my people, come on, let's read it out loud. Would you do it? Come on, one, two, three, read. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways. Then I will hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and heal their land. This is a conditional promise. If my people, right? It's a conditional promise for Old Testament people. And some people have, I've read some guys recently that have said, this is only talking, God only talking about the nation of Israel. This is only for the Jewish people, the Hebrews of the day. But he says this, if my people, <laughs> I don't know about you, but I'm still a people of God. Come on. If my people who are called by my name will, will do some things, humble themselves and pray and, and seek my face. And so what we know, what we know from scripture is that God requires humility. God requires brokenness over our sin. And the sin, really, he's talking about, number one, is that you've just left me. You become hardened. Your hearts become hardened. He's talking about them. You become just like the world, like people all around you. Uh, he's not talking about necessarily the way you dress and the way you, what you drive and where you live. That, that's all generic for what we do, but it's the hard attitude. It's the, it's the ideas. It's the value system. It's what, what we've allowed to come into our heart, to pollute our heart from being everything that God wants us to be. God requires humility. 
God requires brokenness over sin. Uh, Jeremiah, I believe it is, the prophet, and he says something just staggering, or maybe it's Ezekiel. He says to the people of the day, he says, you don't even blush over sin anymore. You become so hardened. You don't even blush over it anymore. You, you, you become so arrogant that it doesn't even affect you any longer. My grandfather on my mom's side in Connecticut, I loved him, uh, uh, Gramps in Connecticut, he had this huge garden and he would go out every day and he'd put on one of those big hats, you know, you see the guys down here wearing straw hats and, and he would be in that garden real early because in Connecticut in the summertime it gets real hot. And he would come back into the house and he'd bring all his vegetables and everything in it. And I remember he'd say, he, he'd put out his hand, he said, you know, Gary, feel my hands. And his hands were just, you know, I called them like sausage fingers. He had real big, thick fingers. But his hands were so calloused, so calloused. And he said, he said, Gra grab that. He said, you could grab that little, that little uh, knife over there and, and go, go ahead and just stick it in a, st I just as a little kid, come on, I'm a little kid. And I just start poking my grandfather's hands a little bit. He thought it was hilarious because he couldn't feel anything. It just become calloused because he's been so using his hands and so rough. And that's exactly how our hearts can become. Well, we can't, we no longer get touched by God. We no longer, it's almost like, and this is, forgive me for the analogy, but it's almost like God would come along with a baseball bat and whack us on the side of our head to get our attention. God doesn't really want to do that, and he's not really into that. But, but our hearts can become so hard and so brittle and so offended and so defensive. And God says, you need to come to me and you need to do a couple things. Number one, he says, that's scripture, you need to humble yourself. You need to humble yourself. This is internal, but listen, this is also external. You need to humble yourself. Humility is a heart posture, but it's also could be, could be a body posture. You could have a hard heart if God's wanting you to lift your hands and you never lift your hands. You could have a hard heart if God's asking you to sing and you never sing. You could have a hard heart if God's wanting you to kneel and you never kneel, never kneel. You could have a hard heart if God's saying, I want you to fast. I'm, I'm, I'm leading you to fast. And you just say, I, I'm not going to fast. It, it's an internal thing, but it is also an external thing. It's an external thing. So my prayer for you has been already, and I'm asking you to pray this too. Listen to me. Simple prayer for the next, as we come into this time of fasting and prayer, on Thursday, is Father, give me grace to fast and pray. Give me more grace. Give me more unmerited, undeserved favor to fast and pray. My flesh is going crazy. It's lying to me. My body's screaming. I got it. I need it. I want it. We've all been there, been there. But Lord, give me grace to fast and to pray. Humble yourselves, he says. Pray, he says, seek my face. Notice, seek my face. We're real good at seeking his hand. Real good. God, give me, give me, give me, give me. Need, need, want, 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 want. God says, I just want, I just want to be with you. I just, want, I just want to spend time with you. And we're not talking about performance. Listen to me. We're not talking about, uh, I'm really not talking about intercession where we come and we're pleading with God on behalf of another. We'll do some of that during this time. But we're talking about you just drawing near to him. Just drawing near to him.
Kimberly, you know, we, we started walking uh, a, li a little bit right now. And so um, we're always together. We, we do life together. We do ministry together. We, we, all of our friends are the same friends. We're always together. And, and so sometimes I've seen, you know, recently that when we go for a walk, we'll, we'll, just, we'll just walk. And we won't, won't sometimes I talk. <laughs> Uh, but 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 many times we'll just walk it. We'll go for a mile or whatever, or a little loop between two and three miles, and 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 I, we just won't even talk. But but she's there. I know she's there. We're together. We're, we're doing something together that doesn't need communication externally, but we're being drawn to one another. Something is happening in the relationship, and so I want I want to encourage you when we come into this time of prayer and fasting. It's not performance. God's not wanting something from you. He's just wanting you. I love it when my grandkids come over. And I don't love it when they come over. You understand. I love it when they come over because they're all around. They're around. I don't want to have to feel like I always have to entertain them but I always want to see them. And when it comes to God, God's not wanting you to try to entertain him nor him entertain you. He's just wanting to be with you. And his nature gets working in you and his will gets working in you and something happens spirit to spirit working in you and things leave you. If my people called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek his face, not his hand, and turn in repentance. Lord, I'm repenting. I haven't, I haven't pursued you like I need to pursue you. I haven't, maybe I did okay this year, but, but I didn't even read the Bible like I need to read the Bible. I looked at all kinds of things and business stuff and school stuff that I need to do, but Lord, I'm repenting. I'm, I'm turning toward you. The scripture says, then God will hear. God will hear. God will forgive and he actually says the land is going to be affected. Your land affected. Your house affected. But also working in the city as well. Come on, let's wrap this up here for a few minutes. Two more scriptures or three before we close. Joel says this, very similar scripture in Joel chapter 2, verse, 20, verse 13. He says, so rend your heart, tear your heart, not your garment. Return to the Lord, for he's gracious, slow to anger, great kindness. He relents from doing harm. Rend your heart, not your garment. Again, what was he speaking of? Do something. The heart, he says, again, isn't just a self-denial thing as we talk about fasting. It isn't just a self-denial thing, but that is important. That is important. So he says, rend your heart first and not just your garment. Again, Old Testament, it was a show. Wanted everybody to know that they're fasting and prayer. God says, that's not what I want you to do. God's gracious. He's merciful. He's, he's going to meet you. He's kind to you. He's not going to do harm to you. But, but there has to be a change working in your heart. Something coming from, from, from the inner to the outer. Uh, again, fasting. Look, look on the screen real quick. Fasting demands your body turns to God. Uh, this is what fasting does. Body, you're not going to dominate me. Body, you turn to God. Body, you submit to the will of God. This isn't a diet. Come on, we're not talking about a diet. But, but it's talking about a dying. A dying. A dying to self. A dying to your will. A dying to your ambition. A dying to sin. 
So, Lord God, I'm saying I need you, and so I, I want you, and I turn to you, and I repent. And I'm, I'm not just going to do something externally uh, by, by a fast and, and push off food and not pray. And I'm not just going to pray without doing the fast. I'm going to do it both because I need you to meet me here and now. The outer behavior, what we see that Joel's saying and what Hosea is saying is that the outer behavior is reflective of an inner desire. I've got an inner desire that I want you. I'm struggling, but my, but my behavior, some things, choices that I've made are out of line with you and your will. I'm coming back to you. I'm returning to you. I'm, I'm returning to you. Here, here's what I said earlier. Leo, come up here and help me. Will you do it? In Habakkuk chapter 3. I've read these scriptures a couple times to you before, but they just seem like they're extra meaning right now in the season that we're in. Habakkuk 3.2 says, God, this is translation, this is a translation says, I've heard about what our ancestors say about you. I'm stopped in my tracks. I'm down on my knees. Do among us what you did among them. Work among us as you worked among them. Lord, I've read the reports of revival. I've read the reports of an awakening. Lord, I've read the reports in, in the, the, the book of Acts. I, I've seen what you did in the, in the Chronicles and the Kings when the nation of Israel turned to you and you revived them and the land was healed and you restored them and their fortunes, meaning their, their relationship with you was restored. Lord, I, 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 I see what's going on in society. I see what's happening in our state, our nation, in government and education, what's going on with the sexuality of, of, our, of our high schools and our young adults and the, the crazy stuff that, 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 that corporations are trying to jam down our throats. I've seen, Lord God, but I've heard about you. And so here I am again. I'm, I've heard what you've done before. So I'm... I, I, I'm I'm stopped in my tracks and I'm getting on my knees. And I'm asking you in this time that I would be a people, we at Spectrum would be a people that cry out to God to do something again. Work among us again. Bring revival again. Save, heal, renew, deliver, restore, revive. Fill people with the Spirit. Do miracles. Bring what's dead back to life again what's missing that it gets recovered what's lost and what's been stolen gets returned kids come home addicts get free struggles get broken just all because we just say God I need you I want you I want you I want you Heard a story about a guy that's a pastor in Portland. He was in junior high. He was, you know, 13 years old, 14 years old, and he just looked around. He was the only, only maybe one other, one other saved kid that he knew in his grade. And his, his youth pastor just started reading some scripture and talking about awakenings and God doing some things. And he just got hungry and started praying. And God said, I, I, I'm glad you're praying, but I want to use you. And his testimony is in his, his little junior high is that all of the, all the people, like, like, I don't know, 100, small school, 
100, 150 in his junior high, all of them had an experience with Jesus and, and prayed a sinner's prayer. A junior high kid just decided, I'm gonna break up my fallow ground. I'm gonna start seeking God. I wanna see God do something in me and with, with me in this generation. What I've read about here, I, I, I wanna be a Daniel. I wanna be a David. I wanna, I wanna bring that Goliath down. I, I wanna be a Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. God, you can work in me when my heart's been positioned and been broken up and your character working in me to make sure that I give you all the glory and all the praise. Here's the scripture I want to leave you with. You've been very attentive. Hope God's talking to you today because we're going to have an amazing 10 days. Right after this verse in Habakkuk 3, 2, in verse 3, one translation says this, I see God moving across the deserts. I see God moving across the deserts. The Holy One coming. I see God moving across the deserts, the dry places, the barren places, the unproductive places of your life. The Holy One is coming. I believe this week, next week, that what's barren, what's unproductive, is going to become tilled again. What's hardened is going to become soft again, where the seed of God's Word and His love and His Spirit is going to start working. And as you turn toward Him, listen to me, His favor is going to shine on you. His goodness is going to be seen on you. You're going to experience an overwhelming sense of God's love and His desire for you personally. If you've struggled with all kinds of things that we all have been through, those are going to become lessened and those shackles broken in your life. I believe it. I see God moving across the deserts of your life and our city and our region. God is coming. Father, we pray that. We pray that. We need you. We want you. We desire you. Would you come into the dry places of our life? Would you bring wholeness and restoration? Would you bring salvation and deliverance, Lord God? Would you save and heal and restore? Would you revive us, O oh God, in this time, in this hour? You gave us a measure of grace, you said in the Old Testament, that you gave them a time, an opportunity. This is our opportunity. Hearts that have been hardened and overwhelmed by culture and disappointment and discouragement of the world. Fathers, we press in like Anna and serve you with fastings and prayers. We're going to see you. We're going to meet you. We're going to meet you. I see God moving across your desert. The Holy One coming. We make room for you this week. We make room for you at the start of this year. Lord God, we're going to see you. 
We're not going to be prayerless. We're not going to be powerless this year. We're going to be people that press in and see you, the Lord God, living in our midst. You're going to give us grace to fast and pray. So we humble ourselves. We pray. We seek your face. We turn in repentance. We turn. We turn. We turn. Lord God, work among us like you worked among them. Do among us as you've done among them. Signs, wonders, miracles, acts of the Holy Spirit. Visions, dreams, divine appearances, whatever you want to do, Lord God. Things of the Spirit. We desire things of heaven. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, in our lives, in our church, in our families, oh God, in our city. It's our prayer today. We thank you, Father. All God's people said amen. Come on, said amen and amen and amen. Come on, stand up. Would you do that? Come on, stand up. Come on, we're going to be in it for a time. We're going to be in for a time. One in the course of human events.